So very long story short, I told the, the battalion, look, two things are going to happen. I'm going to stay here and break someone's jaw or I'm fucking going home and keeping my job. So that's what I did. But that was, that was it. That showed me the complete absence of the understanding of brotherhood and sisterhood, that you are more concerned that you had to run an extra call An extra or two call, right. While we buried one of our brothers. Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 69. Special guest tonight is James Gearing. He was born and raised in England, spent the last 16 years as a firefighter paramedic here in America. He started the Behind the Shield podcast four years ago and is also the author of One More Light, Life, Death, and Humanity Through the Eyes of a Firefighter. James Gearing, it's my pleasure to have you on today as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 69. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you, Corley. I, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. It sounds like it's fun already. We haven't even started recording. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, uh, to everyone watching live, if you have questions for James or myself, please do not hesitate to send them in the comments. I love to throw stuff at him, and uh, we will go from there. Did I miss anything in your intro? Anything to add? Uh, not really. I mean, that's it. I'm the same as everyone else probably watching. I'm, I'm definitely no, you know, nothing special. Um, but part of an incredibly special profession. So That's looking cool. forward to this conversation. Good deal. Well, I'm going to kick it off right out the get-go. I'm going to start with the podcast and just ask you, first off, uh, 406 episodes. I went and looked to get the exact number. 406 episodes. That's crazy to me. Uh, I know what work I've done to get to 70 or 69, technically. 69 episodes. So uh, talk to me about how it started, what you've learned, things like that. Beautiful. Firstly, I'm honored to be number 69. I'm sure Bill and Ted will be very proud. Right on. Um, <laughs> Excellent. So um, it, it's, it's definitely a lot easier as we were talking before we started recording. The first two years of the podcast, I was still on shift. And that was that was very hard. It really was. But um, when I retired from the fire service, uh, which was an interesting story in itself, um, and deliberately I did that so I could focus on this, it finally gave me the ability to to do more with the podcast so the last the last year basically when this pandemic hit i saw that fox and cnn maybe weren't presenting the best information to educate the public and keep them calm um so i added an extra episode a week really just to try and bring more incredible minds that i respect tremendously to everyone else so that really kind of expedited excuse me expedited the growth and you know got us to the the 400 mark which is yeah that's crazy to me too i don't know how how we uh, got here <laughs> no, it's, and, and the quality of the guests man it's amazing i mean you have some amazing guests uh, yeah well so do you and that's that's a very very important point because some people will say that based on the exposure but i'm telling you like if you look at my top download ones um Ricky Nuttall is number one. He's one of the many firefighters that responded to the Grenfell incident okay. in London. Okay, yeah, in London. Um, Dustin, uh, Dustin, sorry, uh, Danny. Danny Dwyer. Dustin Hawkins sure. is another powerful one. But Danny Dwyer, you know, regular Atlanta fireman that, you know, made a grab and uh, wasn't received very well. Danny would go, life. right. Mm -hmm, right exactly. On. So those are regular people just like you and me, and those are some of the most downloaded. So. I've had some incredible people and I admire them equally, but it's funny how most of us want to hear 
good human beings. Some of those good human beings may have multiple movies that won Oscars. Some of those other good human beings may be a humble firefighter in the middle of Canada somewhere, but an equally amazing man or woman. No, that's awesome. And that, that, that those are the, the two of the most downloaded, like you say, it just kind of speaks volumes for what people want to hear. They want that authenticity and that, that real down to earth. Um, what is the most surprising thing you have learned doing the podcast? The power of conversation and the power of efficiency. So the, the connection you can have with another human being who you may have not really spoken to ever before just by listening um, and you know the courage it takes to be vulnerable, which is incredibly moving and incredibly admirable. Um, but also, as you probably had the same thing, if we're in our, uh, you know, uh, uh, departments and we want to, let's say, put on a training class, bring someone in, whatever it is, it will probably take six months of emails and, you know, climbing over people's egos, trying to get something accomplished. It never fails to amaze me that I can call a Navy SEAL, a high level, you know, coach, whatever it is. And say, hey, would you like to do this conversation? They're like, yeah, James, let's do it. What day? Okay, let's do it that day. And that's it. Right. So it really kind of opened up my eyes as to how much wasted time there is in so many departments, companies, you know, whatever around the world, where if two people look each other in the eyes and say, hey, you want to do a thing? And they go, yeah, it's done. So the kind of justification of roles is really, you know, magnified um, when you go and look back at how it was done in my old department, like I spent years trying to get wellness practices in my last department. And yet I can go to my gym, start, which I just did start a tactical athlete class, put out a post and everyone shows up done. You know, no one's ego got hurt. We just made it happen. So I think that was a big, a big aha is just, there's a lot of wasted time in the world too. Do you, and like you said, justification of roles, do you think it's just the bureaucracy that just kind of gets in the way is in the egos? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's the thing. It, it, we found ourselves here. So it's not like, oh, everyone doesn't do it my way is stupid. Absolutely not. But right. there's so many, so many elements, whether it's health, whether it's leadership, where we're a product of our environment. So the answer is to change the environment. You know, you want a healthy America, you don't close down all the health food shops and gyms keep mcdonald's open during a pandemic you do the polar opposite you know so um that environment creates success or it creates failure but absolutely as we all know there's a tendency and i know this because this is international i get to speak to all these firefighters from all over the world there's a tendency to promote the people that shouldn't be in those positions and therefore that creates a justification of of themselves in that role and then a fragile ego Right. that you want to push progress, you're met with the resistance because that person, their heart of hearts knows that that's going to expose who they are. And that's not the role, but, you know, that's, let's be very blunt. The obese union board member doesn't want the young firefighter that's fit to push wellness standards because the union member knows damn well that they won't be able to meet them. So perfect example. Wow. No. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to push on justification of roles, ego. Uh, you said efficiency. You said the power of conversation and the power of efficiency. Elaborate on the efficiency, which I know you've touched on it. but Yeah, I mean, really, there's a lot of things we do 
that um, just take too bloody long. You know, have your people call my people. No, you call me and we'll talk and we'll get this thing done. So, you know, in the fire service, if you have uh, a female firefighter who just attended the Orlando Fire Conference down here, you know, Mike Champo showed her some incredible forceful entry techniques that you know your department doesn't know and she just wants to put on a class. Well, it should be that simple. Hey, you know, Linda's going to teach this class. Um, she's going to put it on. She's going to travel to the stations or whatever it is, and you just make it happen. But instead, it takes a year of emails and all this sure, stuff. The scheduling. Um, the, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's and that's all time. I mean, a perfect example again: negotiations, contract negotiations. It blows me away that grown-ups, a room of grown-ups, can't come to an agreement in a day on what a contract's going to look like. Think about the wasted man hours, union salaries, and whatever they're paying the administrators to sit in those rooms and play those stupid games when you should be able to just come to, a, you know, whatever the middle ground is at that point, make a damn decision and move on. So just be adults and, and have a conversation. Exactly. The exactly. power of conversation. All right. Exactly. I would like to see that work in the union shops. I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, I hate this question when people ask it for me, okay? And so I'm going to ask it of you because that's just how this works. Uh, they always ask me, what is your favorite episode or what episode should I listen to if I'm just going to listen to, you know, what's the next one I should listen to? What's your favorite guest type question? And so it's such a multifaceted answer because there's so many different reasons why you fall in love with the people you talk to and et cetera. And I'm, I'm assuming that of you is because it's the way it is for me. Um, talk to me about... Uh, who has impacted you the most is kind of what I want to ask. Like if you can t tell me as many as you can think of, cause I know with 400, I'm throwing a very big uh, curveball there. Absolutely. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you the first, the pioneers of a thought process that, that I then brought onto the show. Okay. So sleep deprivation, Navy SEAL called Kurt Parsley, who's now been on, I think four times. So obviously he's definitely one of, one of the most, uh, you know, revisited guests. So whether that's not, you know, best or worst, but definitely a powerful guest. Um, but his his story on how he realized that his seals were suffering physiologically for no other reason than sleep deprivation. So they did the annual blood work, and he had these uber athlete alpha males, and their blood work was coming back like they were eight year old women. Um, so very long story short he realized that they were all on Ambien as well. So they were doing these night ops. They weren't getting the rest and recovery, and it was crippling them physically. So Kirk actually had been a SEAL, left, became a, a physician, and came back as their doctor. Um, so that was a huge, huge game changer for me. And I heard him originally on Barbell Shrugged, an old-school um, fitness podcast, okay. the original crew that they had. Um, so he was huge. Uh, Dustin Hawkins, a friend of mine, no. who I actually heard speak in – I want to interrupt you. Is, is that the one that wrote Sleep to Win, the book you talked about in the... Yes. Okay, yeah. okay. making sure. Cause yeah, so that's, that's Kirk. Yeah, okay. and there's some other great, great sleep books, but I think Kirk's is powerful because he understands the tactical community. Someone like Dr. Matthew Walker would love to get on one day. If anyone listening knows him, please tell him that I'm, I'm trying to find him. Hunting him, like okay. Full-on creep mode. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so Kirk's definitely great for the, the tactical space. And there's some other ones, Alison Brager from the Army, Rachel Markwell from the uh, Navy. I just had John Cordell, who's a naval captain. I mean, there's just so many people from all these different backgrounds in the sleep medicine world. They all agree with each other. 
sleep deprivation is killing police, fire, EMS, dispatchers, all these shift workers that are working not only shifts but way too long in the work week. Um, so that's a huge one. Uh, Dustin Hawkins was really the first just incredibly powerful, courageous storyteller on his own mental health battle, which included him being stopped seconds from enacting his own suicide. Oh, wow. And now he's an incredible, not not just advocate, he's out there creating this thing called Red Line Rescue, which, again, we talk about red tape. That's the perfect example. That, that poor poor project has been drowning in red tape just to get the funding. But, um, I mean, episode 39. So Kirk, I think, is episode six, if I'm not mistaken. Dustin is episode 39. Um, so those are two huge ones. And then another concept, that I think uh, is explained very well with uh, Johan Hari, and I forget the the number of that, is the prohibition of drugs in the West and how that has created so much death, so much destruction, so much uh, um, uh, danger for our men and women in, in blue. Um, just the ripple effect of that horrendous thing following the complete failure of alcohol prohibition but if you listen to the beginning, you know, how that was started, it was it was founded on racism. And, and again, justification of a job. The guy in that role, uh, alcohol had been, you know, made legal again. And uh, so he was like, all right, drugs. So now we have the system where drug addicts are criminals, which is insane. So when you hear about that and then there's, there's kind of associated guests like um tom eberhardt who's a governor in norway of the most humane prison on the planet which also has some of the best recidivism rates on the planet um yeah i mean those are if you're talking about impact and changing lives those would be some of the ones that really spring to mind even though as you said all the guests are phenomenal and a lot of them overlap on those concepts sure sure no, and just the fact that you can pull those ones out after 400 is crazy to me so (laughs) i got my first question coming from the audience cliff anderson asks so sleep what do you think about the 48-hour 96? Okay, so the analogy which I use in the book, um, think about this when you're thinking of shifts. You have a Rubik's Cube, and it's you know whatever colors are on whatever side at the moment. So you've got 2448. Okay, so then you spin it. Now you've got 4896. When you spin it again, you've got some other version of. Well, the cube is still the same size. So... The mistake we're making in the fire service is we keep talking about shift patterns. What we should be talking about is the work week. And even though we will show up no matter what, and there are men and women all over this country that volunteer, do this job for free, and which is an amazing thing, but it's also hurt us. And no disrespect to the volunteers. Keep doing what you're doing. I think it's so admirable that you do it for free. But the politicians realize that some people do it for free. So... In the corporate world, in the you know, regular work world, the guy bagging your groceries, the person you know doing your taxes, they work forty hours, you know, and tap out. Maybe the tax person works a little extra, you know, around April. But um, you know, if you walked in and said, "Hey, you're going to do seventy-two hour work week," they'd say, "No, nah, I'm not. I'm leaving." Pass. So right. But the men and women who are up at three a.m. pulling over your teenage son or working a pediatric code on your child or cutting your wife out of a car with extrication tools. We're working 56 federal 72 hour work weeks. So the people whose lives hand in the, you know, hang in the balance are in the hands of sleep deprived men and women. But the people who you know, are fitting 
uh, doing plumbing or electricity in your home, they're, you know, on a regular work week. So that's the thing. It's not about saying that we're fragile or weak or anything. It's if you want us to thrive, you have to create an environment for us to thrive. There's the Green Berets, the Navy SEALs, the SAS, the PJs. They are not worked into the ground. They have, this, you know, rest and recovery is, is extremely important. They have skill acquisition, they have fitness, but they have rest and recovery. And they have sleep experts and, you know, all these other groups around them. So understanding that it's not about changing the shift pattern. It's about making the work week just the same as everyone else in, in the world. In the northeast of America, most of them work 42. So it's not even a golden unicorn we're talking about. It's just the rest of us have found ourselves from when we used to just run fire and, you know, once in a while actually run a call where, you know, 48 hours, 56 hours probably weren't that bad. Most of us are running 24 hours straight on a rescue or, you know, running calls on an engine or a truck. And it's a completely different fire service. And I'm telling you, hands down, that's one of the main reasons why we're losing men and women to cancer to suicide and even to COVID because they are extremely vulnerable at the moment because their immune system is destroyed. Wow. No, that's powerful. And you even mentioned in the book um, the the answer for it, which, you know, you say municipalities are not going to like it, but it's more more personnel. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So the one, a few of the kickbacks I get, firstly, oh, well, it's money. Well, sure. riddle me this. You know, say you're in the department in uh, was it Minneapolis with George Floyd. Right. Um, how much do you think that one incident is costing that department? Right. You know, it hasn't made the news, but I'm assuming it's pretty hard to prove that the officers were wrong in that particular one. There's a lot of gray area one in law enforcement. I don't think that's one of them, including, you know, the medics that showed up too. Um, so that's one area. So think about the mistakes, just the mistakes before I get to everything else that we make. You know, how many of our lightning duty deaths, at, say an intersection crash or falling off an aerial or a roof at a fire, getting lost in a search, how many of those were actually uh, attributed to sleep deprivation? Our men and women were so exhausted that they made a mistake. So you have that, you know, wrongful death lawsuits and, and you know, sadly people getting killed. Then you have um, medical retirements, which is huge in our profession. Sure. Workman's comp claims, mistakes that we make. Like I said, you know, you shoot the teenager going for his, his driving license because you're so sleep deprived, you're seeing cross-eyed and you think he's going for a gun. So that's on the back end. So my whole thing is you are going to save hand over fist if you invest in your people in the front, create a workforce that you know, has an hour, a work week that allows them the time to recover, which in my opinion, I think the industry standard should be a 2472. There's nothing that grinds me more than hearing the phrase one day on two days off a work day to most people is eight hours, maybe an hour lunch in between nine. So a 24 is three hours. I mean, excuse me, three work days crammed together. So it's three days on one day off. It's not one day on two days off. Um, so by doing a 2472, you would actually have two full days to recover from being up 24 hours. So I think that's, that's what you have to explain to people. If you care about human life, it's going to protect your people. If you don't care about human life, it's still going to save you money. But if you short-sightedly have the false economy that you just want to look good in a fiscal year so you can get your Christmas bonus, then you're missing the entire point and you're a horrendous leader. Wow. Strong words from James Gearing. There you go. <laughs> I'm retired. I can say what I want now. Say whatever you want. <laughs> Which I want to touch on that. You said there was a story behind you retiring. You want to talk about that at all? or? 
Yeah, I'll give you the again. The the uh, it's kind of pertinent too. So, very long story, very short. Um, when I first got hired, we were in Miami. Went to a, a department called Hialeah, who sadly just lost another uh, firefighter to cancer today. Um, I uh, I was married then. My my ex had wanted to go to Miami to be famous. Then she wanted to go to Hollywood to be also famous. So we went to California, got hired in Anaheim. No regrets. My favorite department, hands down. Um, was a tillerman on a truck, just living the dream. Well, we had a little boy, which was another miracle, you know, a beautiful thing that I'm so, so grateful for. And then she wanted to go back to Florida to be around her family. Well, as you know, the only thing that trumps the job is is our family. So sure. it literally broke my heart. I'm not going to, I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried like a three-year-old girl when I, you know, left the last day. Um, and went to work for Orange County, Florida. Mixed departments, some incredible crews. I ended up finding a great crew with a great first Jew, ran my ass off, saw all kinds of stuff, fought fire. Um, but there was a mixture. So as much time as you spent with good crews, you might find yourself with a bad crew, especially in, when you got to the battalion level. You know, it started getting a little uh, Russian roulette-esque. <laughs> um, but the problem with that department is it was no Kelly Day. And they were horrendously understaffed. So that was a, that's something I missed, forgot to say. So with the the other thing with people saying, oh, but firefighters will just take overtime. If you staff your department properly, they don't get to take overtime. So then they'll hang drywall, do whatever, and go to bed at night. Yeah, the worst thing that we can do is take another shift. Um, so I was a single dad. I got divorced. I found out um, when I was in my house, there was another man keeping my ex company. Sure. It doesn't work out so yeah. well. Um and, you know, again, it is what it is. I had a beautiful boy from it. No regrets. Um, you know, some relationships just have an expiration date. Um, but I was a single dad by that point. And being told I couldn't go home after 24 was unacceptable. So I ended up vying for um, or getting position in a neighboring department that protected a, a theme park in the Orlando area that was well-staffed, had a Kelly day, um, gave up a lot of the, the fire, but I did it for my son sure. you know? and they still got good calls, but it was more on the medical side. Um, but what I didn't understand, didn't anticipate was the, uh, the kind of lack of training, lack of physical standards, lack of entry standards. And so it was very, very complacent. And I really, really tried. And I wasn't the only person, but there was a few people that tried to, you know, really raise the bar and it was back to that ego thing. People didn't want to hear it. You right. Know? Right. Um, and just to paint the picture, and I don't, I always feel like I'm just talking shit, but I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. Right. The, the actual chief chief had come up through fire prevention, not really ever been a firefighter. And then the operations chief was up through, uh, dispatch. Oh, really? Was a dispatcher on operations. So as you can imagine, you know, a, a recipe for disaster when it comes to sure. growth, you know, ownership. Um, so I'd hurt my knee and I got to the point where, the podcast was a couple of years old. I'd rehab my knee back to full duty again. I was about to go back on the floor. And I just had this moment. I'm like, I've spent five years trying to make a difference. And it's not, you know, I'm getting so much pushback. What if I just took a leap of faith, cashed out my retirement and just paid myself to keep going with this podcast. And so that's what I did. I, I basically retired at 14 years on the job and, you know, just, it was hard at first because I'm sure. not putting on the magic trousers anymore. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not Kurt Russell anymore, <laughs> but the mission was the same. The mission was to help yeah. people. 
and it just it changed it. And uh, there's a phrase the special operations community use, um, which is force multiplier. So, for example, the Green Berets don't go in and just grab a rifle and fight alongside a militia. They go in and train, train them, right. a militia, you know, the local forces, whatever is opposing evil at that point. And so that was it. I'm like, I can sit down and have a conversation like we're having today, um, you know, either side of the, the microphone, and hopefully affect thousands of people. Or I can run a call. That particular department ran a lot of BS as well. You know, maybe two or three times a tour actually save a life or, right. you know, pre-code or something. So that was ultimately it. It, it was, n- I, I hated leaving the fire service, but the universe really just kicked me square between the legs and said, get out. Um, so, and, you know, based on the growth of what I do now and, and the messages I get and the people I get to talk to, um, you know, my, my fragile ego of not wearing bunker gear anymore um, was kind of trumped by the fact that, the mission was still there to, to, to do good in the world. All right. We've got some comments coming at you. Dirk Janiak said, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Pablo Alex Ginner. I always get that wrong with this Facebook name. Sorry, bro. Pa- Sorry, Pablo. James Gearing is the real deal in it for the betterment of our craft. Always a pleasure to hear you speak, brother. Yeah. Well, Pablo is a local lad. He was here in Marion County when, um, out what would it be west i think and then came back so he's an asset to marion county now i know he travels teaching too so right back at you brother no no, i know you talk about you know of course not being kurt russell no more no more magic trousers and all that i love those analogies they're beautiful (laughs) well they capture it so well man it's it's beautiful language but you talk about your why in the book understanding your why and your why hasn't changed just the the method of you reaching it you know and and did you understand that when you took the leap of faith that this was your why or is it something you kind of um, I mean, initially, I'd be lying if I said yes, because I volunteered for a bit. And in all honesty, Marin County there, they have areas where you can slide in and definitely be an extra pair of hands. But the reality is, I felt more like a medic ride along than I did as a part of the crew. And it was, you know, on me, like I wasn't able to be there a lot. So I wasn't part of that cohesive crew. And I did catch myself. I did it for a little bit. Did all the, you know, the research and everything, got everything up to where it needed to be. I was going to be the first ever volunteer medic firefighter. Um, but I kind of, every time I was going to go on shift there, someone, you know, would, would want to do an interview. And I'm like, well, do I go be an extra pair of hands or do I do an episode that's going to be listened to right. thousands of times? So it just, it always trumped it. But then I had an aha moment. I'm like, I'm probably doing it for me, for my ego, so I can still wear the magic trousers. Right. You know what I mean? Still no, 100%. The and when I say magic trousers, in England, no girl wanted to look at me. And I'll never forget, I was doing fill the boot in Anaheim, had my bunker pants on, and these English girl tourists were just flirting and giggling, and I'm like, it must be the trousers. It's the magic trousers, because I got the same face like a smacked ass, and no one wanted to know when I was back home. And now all of a sudden I'm attractive. So that's where the magic trousers comes from. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's, but it's just that it's, um, it took me a while to realize to, to appease my ego and say, it's okay not to wear the uniform anymore. And I'm sure it's the same exact struggle that other, I mean, I am a retiree, right. but you know, the older career retirees, like long career retirees that they have. And if you don't have that next thing to go to, which is something that Al Benjamin just said. Um, I interviewed him from uh, Rescue One, FDNY, and it was his, his exact thing. Like, you have to have the next step. 
you know so whether you retire out early whether you know you get hurt god forbid if you have to figure out how can i reframe my desire to help people but it just isn't going to a station for 24 hours climbing on a rig and responding to calls anymore right no longer being there in the emergency yeah right no and i and i'm hoping to do 10 more i'm at 24 right now i'm hoping to do about 10 more but i'm already starting to worry about what happens when i hit that and it's time to hang up the bunker gear uh, Hannah Elliott has a question for you here, and she said, James, can you also talk about the incident which occurred at the firehouse when your crew attended a firefighter's line of duty death <laughs> funeral? So I don't know the yes. story, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, I can. So there are so many, to start with a the positive, there are so many stories I have of the brotherhood and sisterhood in the fire service. And those are you know, things that I love to think about. And I, I believe I'm going to absolute you know incurable optimist i believe that one day we can see the end of war i mean i believe all kinds of you know crazy optimistic things right um because if everyone stops being a dick war goes away so there if anyone out there is a dick just stop it and we're going to be good um Simple. but uh but based on that the let me let me put it in a lesson learned way okay anaheim hialeah their bar was set incredibly high and both of those agencies, by the time you got through their academy and then their probation, you really had been through a crucible, especially the higher layer class I got hired with because we were basically hired with non-certs and they put us through hell while these non-certs went to school. Um, so, And it created this incredible sense of brotherhood and sisterhood. Conversely, my last department had zero training when we got hired. You literally show and tell and then you went to the theme parks and you rode rides and you know it was awful absolutely awful so because you had no way of knowing if we were good or bad too so there was no filtering process i could have been an absolute turd and maybe i am who knows but they didn't find out either way you know mm-hmm. so the the switch went off sadly early in my career we lost a one of my my higher you know my class um who died of an overdose and i'll put it out there because again we tend to sweep suicides overdoses under the under the carpet absolutely he was he was a man who mm. had done quite a lot for another department probably seen some horrendous stuff and like many of our men and women for whatever reason maybe even stuff that happened when he was young it you know got to the point where he felt he had to cope with uh, an unhealthy coping mechanism and it and it cost him his life which is nothing other than tragic mm. um so Long story short, I signed up to be part of the crew that went to the funeral, put up the flag with the the ladder. So we took ours. Um, Polk County was the other department, which is here in Florida. And they sent just one guy with the rig. Um, So when we got there, obviously, to put everything up on an aerial and hang a flag, that's many hands. So we helped him set up his side. We did ours. We hung the flag. We went to the funeral, waited till the family finally went. And they waited there a little while because they're grieving. You're not going to say, you know, come on, hurry up. (laughs) Right. Um, So when it finally happened, we hadn't eaten all day. So when we packed everything away, helped him, you know, get squared away before he went. We grabbed some food, very short amount of time, sat at the, I forget what it was now, but, you know, like not even an hour. And then we, we drove, it was like two hours to get back. On the way back my lt gets a phone call and this is a just think of your most chill guy in the fire department this is that guy and i see him just start to get like angry exasperated and long story short the crews 
that were working had complained that we took too long at the funeral and they'd been running calls and we need to get back. <laughs> so most people listening will understand why that's just infuriating. A lot of people in that department still think they, they don't even understand what, what went wrong. But um, so I went back to say I was pissed off is an understatement. I'm usually a pretty chill guy, but I was really fucking angry is no other way to describe it and disgusted and grieving and crying and everything else you know just like please tell me this is a miscommunication right oh but right. but but and by this point by the way the bunk room is full or the the day room is full and no one's rig is on a call so that's a little twist of the knife there so very long story short i told the, the battalion look two things are going to happen i'm going to stay here and break someone's jaw or i'm fucking going home and keeping my job so that's what i did but that was that was it that showed me the complete absence of the understanding of brotherhood and sisterhood that you are more concerned that you had to run an extra call an extra call right while we buried one of our brothers so to, to hannah's question that was categorically handed down the worst day of my 14-year career but you know it's a story now i can tell if you if 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 someone was at a funeral and you think it's okay to bitch about running calls, then you have a camaraderie problem in your department as well. So lesson learned. No, but that's the other reason why I ended up transitioning out because that was the norm in that particular place. Sure. No, absolutely. And I'll go a step further and go back to your previous term, which is you're a dick if you do that. So, mm-hmm. Dirk Jenny. Yeah, but again. Oh, okay. But um, just just to add to that, sorry. So, but the but the the lesson learned, the takeaway, when you set the bar high at the door and you put your women, men and women through a crucible, like Anaheim, you end up with an a crazy with an incredible department with great firefighters, engineers, captains, as they have their you know BCs. It goes all the way up, and that place was incredible. If you have no bar, don't be surprised when every single rank is going to have issues. So that's kind of, that was a takeaway from that. Right. No, it makes complete sense. Uh, Dirk Janiak said, no, it's the accent, mate. And I'm pretty sure he's talking about the magic trousers still and the, and the ladies loving it over here. Well, he's a, he's a German firefighter working in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. So he's probably got an interesting accent too. He says, we work four on, two off, four on, six off. A block of four is two 10-hour day shifts followed by two 14-hour night shifts. Love that system, and any references back in the old country, I worked 24 on, 48 off. So There we go. All right, back to, I'm going to move to the book now. I'm thoroughly enjoying the book. I've not quite finished it yet, but just came out last year, correct? Uh, yeah, I think it was end of September. Okay. Talk to me about it, where it came from, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out some quotes and things like that to talk about. Beautiful. Well, yeah, I wrote, so I wrote the book, and just for everyone listening, I'm literally about six chapters away from being done with uploading all the audiobooks. So, nice. uh, Amazon it? says it's sorry. Am I? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I am. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna, you know, find some American soap opera star to read it, but no, nah, everyone keeps telling me, telling me I shouldn't. And, uh, Morgan Freeman wasn't available. So I guess it was left with me. That's a good choice. But, uh, good choice. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> but but just just for the star value, um, the, who who is a firefighter himself, Josh Brolin actually reads his forward as well. Nice, so nice. you get to hear a little Thanos action in there. Um, but yeah, so 
with the book, um, obviously the podcast is getting these incredible guests on. It's not me. And, you know, if, if any of my episodes sound like I'm talking too much, then I fail because it's supposed to be the focus on the guests. So what I wanted to do was kind of collate all the things I've learned that I've applied to myself as well. So these are, you know, health things that I've done. Right. Um, but I wanted to bring in stories from my career. Reason being, you know, there are some incredible books out there from our men and women that have been at some of those, you know, you know, either amazing departments or huge events. So kind of my other lens was like the other 99% of us weren't at Vegas, you know, weren't at the World Trade Center or Oklahoma bombing. Um, so I kind of wanted to, to write in a lens of a normal firefighter that just didn't have that happen on, on the day they were on the rig. Um, so the story of it about four and a half years ago now, we'd had, you know, like I said, a spate of deaths. That's what made me start the podcast was we lost six people. Um, it was the, the overdose when we had a suicide. Um, and then there was other suicides going on around. We had, uh, um, chief negley we had chief dangerfield so there was some the mental health thing was really coming to to a head and i came back from a call like two three in the morning and i just couldn't go to sleep there's just something there's a you know my head was going to explode if i didn't put something down so i went to the the office and just sat there and typed a blog it was my first ever one i just set the website up for the podcast um and it was called, I wish my head could forget my eyes have seen. Now, that's a quote from Byrne, um, but uh, Dave Parnell, the engineer from Detroit. But I just talked about mental health, but in a frame of, you know, here's here's what's going on. Here's some of the contributing factors like sleep deprivation. And, you know, here's some positive outlets and posted it and went to bed. When I woke up, it had gone viral, as the term goes. And I think ultimately it was read like hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah. And so I ended up writing some more blogs over the next year or so. Um, and then another year went by or so. And then I'm like, I wonder if I could turn these into a book. Because there's a lot of us that don't really know what a podcast is, don't listen to podcasts, a lot of our older you know, crew members. So if I make a book, then now we have an option for the more old-fashioned eyes too. And then ultimately, as I'm doing now, I'll do an audio book. So the podcast listeners have their you know, favorite medium as well. Um, but it took a long time, and I had a guest on the show, Ray Ripple, who's a sculptor. She's a welder, but she was a firefighter, and she had this idea for this like steel wedding dress that she was making. Okay. And she woke up one day and sketched it, but then she took it, to put it away in her bedside table for like a year. And she said, James, one day I woke up, and it was time. It was time to do it. And that's exactly what it okay. was with the book. The beginning of this year, everything just kind of came together. I was very lucky, Josh... Brolin actually helped me, you know, gave me advice and, and feedback on the chapters. Uh, Jason Casper, who's a uh, Army Green Beret I had on the show, who's also an author. Um, uh, uh, Sebastian Junger, I sent him my stuff too. So I had all these people that I admired hugely that gave me feedback. And if they, you know, sent it back saying it was shit, I'm like, all right, then it's not going to be a book. <laughs> right. But I kept getting positive feedback. So either A, they were lying to me, or B, there was something in there. Right. Um, but yeah, so then I just kept whittling it down and I had an editor in England. So it was done in the, the English language, the English spelling. Um, and, uh, and that was it, you know, through Amazon, anyone listening, if you want to write a book, you literally write a book, get it edited, get cover art, 
and send it to Amazon and you can be an author. So um, that was the goal. And then just seeing the feedback now, um, you know, it's not Harry Potter. I'm not looking to be some whatever bestseller, but seems like everyone that's read it so far has taken things from it that hopefully will enrich their life. And it's not my words. It's what I've learned from Kurt Parsley, from Sebastian Junger, from Johan Hari, from all these people. Um, Eric Goodman, how that saved my career with his um, back strengthening routine that he does. So it's through the storytelling of my career, but every chapter is, is almost like a short story. Right. And there's a lesson learned after every single one. So it transitions from you know, this to, to mental health, to, to addiction, to obesity or whatever the, the topic is. But I got to say, I love your author's voice because it's not written like most books. It's more of almost like a, a narrative, a story. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, you have some good, I don't know the right words as far as just your your author's voice is very descriptive, man. So I think well, thank you, you. you captured that. Uh, I have some highlights here, like I said. I want to bring them up to you. Modern society is awash with electronic devices that connect us virtually yet disconnect us physically. By not engaging in true, honest conversations, we are losing the ability to offload and process the calls, family issues, and other life stresses. I love that so much that I highlighted it and wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah, so, I mean, you think about traditionally, it's funny how we had coping mechanisms in the firehouse specifically. So not police, you know, not dispatch, but our profession. So you had the dining room table. You know, and back in the old days, the crews would come in, you know, we shop together, we, we sit around, we, we cook together, we sit down and eat. And I get it, you know, as far as the eating part, you know, we have different um, you know, dietary uh, philosophies that we subscribe right. to now, which can be a challenge. But the, the individual dorms, for example, the best thing we could have done as far as sleep health was individual dorms. But we lost the room full of men and women someone farts we all throw toilet paper at them you know right. the, all, all the that that fun element of of the you know the communal dorm but it's the same with the dining room when you have the individual dorms i think we've lost some of the dining room talk you know people are in or the or the, the tv room whatever it is you know people tend to go in their their rooms a little bit and then with the the phones you know you sit around a dining room table and everyone's scrolling their phone so by being present making a deliberate effort to talk around the tailboard, talk around, you know, while you're, you're washing the engine or truck, you know, one of the, the Anaheim captains used to say like, you know, when one works, we all work. And I love that. You nice. Don't get the rookie doing all the work. You help the rookie with the work and then get him learning his tools or her, you know, hose pulls or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other irony, if you think about, one of the most healing things that seems to really resonate with our profession is uh, canine therapy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you get people that have these, you know, therapy dogs or, you know, um, what they call emotional support dogs. Um, when we used to have dogs in the station years ago. So the old timers actually had it right. And we've slowly dismantled it. Right. But so by allowing ourselves to be sucked into our devices, we are literally eliminating that human contact which has been amplified at the moment with with what we're going through um and i think that's really um added to or taken away should i say from the ability to communicate the ability to offload 
because there's nothing better and i write about I think i quoted this in the book but there is no better feeling of camaraderie than sitting on top of an engine hauling five inch up while you talk shit at each other right, and you know right. that that that's offloading that's mental health so the further we get away from that or a firehouse dinner um the more chance there is that someone's going to sit through the cracks and if we don't catch it we're going to be standing in a church watching them you know draped with the flag right mm. love it uh dirk janiak chimed in again said phones off at the kitchen table that's where you solve all the world's problems and Antonio Juan said, family time at the dinner table, no phones, exclamation point. Solid point. I agree 100%. Uh, as with many things in life, there is no one-size-fits-all solution to mental wellness. Each one of us has to navigate our own path to psychological and emotional health. Man, I love that because just like physical, I mean, you, I think you say it in the book too, there is, no, there is no one thing everyone can do. It is so multifaceted. Yeah. No, exactly. So I think that's what I've seen because my background is also I'm ex-phys graduate. You know, I've been a, an athlete, I've been a coach, um, used to fight um, in national tournaments in taekwondo and, you know, won medals, even though it's just really tippy-tappy stuff. But it, it looked good. It's good right. for the stunt work, too. Um, but re- regardless, it's what I found when I've watched wellness and mental health um, initiatives put into our profession, even the general public, the tendency is this is the way you should do it. And if you take your biggest guy, biggest, strongest guy or, or woman in your department who loves strong man, strong woman, and you tell them you need to do spin class, right? they're going to be like, uh, no, I don't. Now, does that person maybe need to work on their, their engine as far as their cardio? Sure. Quite possibly. But things like medleys and things like that are a great way to build that up. The triathlete, that incredible athlete, the marathon runner that you have, you know, you tell them, oh, you need to do P90X. Eh, probably not. But do they need some strength training combined, you know, with their training so they're able to, to throw the 24, one man or one person? So, and giving people the tool, showing them a map and saying, you get yourself from A to B, but B is where we need to be. We need to be fit. We need to be strong. We need to be mobile. But, you know, here are the options you have. I think that's a very powerful philosophy to have. So you take principles, but you don't show them how to do it. And it's the same with mental health. EMDR might work really well for you. For me, it might be MDMA psychotherapy, you know, where I basically take MDMA and, you know, because I can't get my walls. I don't even realize my walls are there. Another person, it might be save a warrior. Another one, it might be equine therapy. But knowing those are all there, and most importantly with mental health, having a department that supports you and says whichever of these routes you take, we'll pay for it under this you know health insurance that we've chosen. That is how you navigate mental health as well, because one person, you know, it might be poetry that reaches to them. You know, another one it might be a Navy SEAL boot camp that finally gets them to come out. You know, so we have to be able to understand that there's a spectrum of personalities and therefore a spectrum of wellness initiatives. And if you don't tell someone what they should do, but just empower them to find their own path, that to me is the key to both mental and physical health. Oh, I love that. Empower them to find their own path. I always say this one thing, which is uh, all of them work. It's just the one you'll do that works for you. The one you will actually do. And so, um, <clears throat> 
Eric R. Wheaton. Okay, I'm reading this question here. He says, James, why does smoke get all the attention? Is it low-hanging fruit or us because we can see it? Lifestyles, diet, exercise, sleep, hydration, and even chemicals in new bunker gear needs more attention for combating our health. That's a great question. So hello to Eric. Eric's actually on the show, too, with uh, Jim Walsh. Amazing interview. I'm getting some questions from some awesome people, so thank you for uh, showing up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a very important point. So where... If you think about mental health, the focus is always, oh, well, it's what you saw. Remember that thing when, you know, that kid was killed? That's why you've got PTSD, which is so wrong. Is it a contributing factor? Absolutely. Is it the reason? No, there's way more to it than that. And I think the same is with the cancer. You know, I'm an absolute believer in a version of clean cab. I had the guys from Sweden on the show. Um, Why would you not want to? eliminate as many toxins as you could from entering your body whether your skin through your you know breathing in and out we've all been in those rigs and you're like jesus christ i can barely even climb in because it's off gassing so much so that is absolutely a thing but to me the the analogy with those two is like covid it's like saying that the virus is killing all these people the virus is holding up a mirror to your resilience so if you are an eight-year-old child the virus goes through and don't even notice because we haven't had enough time to destroy that child yet. For us, when we get into our 30s and 40s, we're a little bit more susceptible. The shift worker, whether it's you know doctor, nurse, whether it's firefighter, police officer, we're more susceptible to COVID than we realize. And actually, COVID's killed more of us than any other line of duty death this year. Um, but cancer's the same. So you have your carcinogens, and they are absolutely a factor but it's your resistance, your resilience to all these external factors. I mean, the sunlight potentially can give you cancer, but a healthy body, it's not going to. So it goes back exactly like Eric was saying, you know, exercise, nutrition, and then again, it's the sleep. sleep. Our immune system depends on our rest and recovery. So the more we're beaten down, the more susceptible we are then to cancers from our food. I mean, you know, I think there's no profession that, should find our modern farming practices more ridiculous than a department that has a hazmat section that we see pictures of people in level B suit spraying our food and wondering why we have cancer in this country, you know? So, you know, obviously then you have, you know, the polluted cities, um, you know, the LA's and London's of the world. Um, So absolutely we do focus on smoke and it's, you know, we should be. But, you know, and, and with the cre- clean cab thing, you know, I, I see some of the poo-pooing of that. Like, I forget what the phrase is now, but if if you have clean cab, then you're not going to be able to make a rescue. Well, as a tillerman, your pack is on the outside. So you don't have a choice but to throw your pack on when you get down. And if you can't put your pack on in 10 seconds, maybe you shouldn't be a firefighter anyway. But if you can, that's 10 seconds of looking at the building, and then you can go do whatever it is you need to do. So focusing just on the smoke for the cancer issue is like focusing just on that one traumatic event on the mental health issue and ignoring childhood trauma, you know, and all these other things that contribute to sadly, some of our men and women succumbing to suicide. All those other contributing factors. Great yeah. question, Eric. Thank you. All right. It's probably my most highlighted page in your book here. I got a lot line of it. So I'm just going to keep reading your words out. You hope you don't mind James. Uh, <laughs> please this is where we turn to the reach up 
uh, sorry, teach a person to fish philosophy. The mistake many people make is trying to ram one type of exercise down everyone's throat. So we already kind of touched on this. A firefighter needs to be strong. More importantly, the firefighter needs to be just as strong 20 minutes into a scene as when they started. I love that whole philosophy. It's not just about the power. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, just a good example. And this was, we've all had days where we rose to challenge and then other days where, you know, we're kind of embarrassed to admit that we didn't perform as well as we should have myself included. But I do remember there was one fire in Anaheim and it came in as a car fire. We remember, I never forget. We pulled around the engine and yeah, there was a car and along with another five cars all on fire (laughs) in a carport that was under a two story apartment complex. And the carport was under the second floor. So not just a car fire. Right. So, you know, on that one, uh, myself and another firefighter had been knocking down the cars first because that was technically the seat of the initial fire. And then we went upstairs, and there was a couple of firefighters up there who I'm sure they'd been busting their ass, but they were done. And they were trying to break through the, the wooden floor to get to you know, the, the space in between the, the ceiling of the ground floor and, and the second floor where the fire was still active. Um, and... Uh, Again, I've been doing CrossFit and kept myself fit. And that particular incident, I was still able to perform 20 minutes later. So I literally like tagged them out. You know, was able to pull the toilet off its uh, off its bolts and then use that hole and extend the hole and we put it out. But I think that's it. I'm not the biggest. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest. But understanding that you know, you and I might fight a fire, and 20 minutes, 30 minutes in, I go down, and now you have to drag me out. So. You know, there's a difference between beach muscles and or, you know, Ironman fitness and having the strength and muscular endurance to perform whatever version of rescues we need to do, whether it's 30 minutes into fight and fire or 30 minutes after climbing 80 floors and you haven't done a damn thing yet. And now it's time to work. Now it's time to go to work, yeah. Powerful. Awesome, man. All right. I always like to ask the guests if they have book or books that they think firefighters should be reading. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I have so many bloody books because I try and let me turn that slightly. There's the no, I can see them. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, so anyway, it's um, yeah, there, there are so many good ones. Obviously, there's a lot of leadership ones um, that have come out. There's some great mental health ones. But I think for an aha getting away from the seat deprivation, Sebastian Junger's book Tribe is an absolute must read for every human i think um the background is he wrote um the deadliest catch that they made into a film with uh, mark Wahlberg. that was okay. his book okay um, about the uh, andrea gale he was the one that shot corongal and restrepo the documentaries um so he was an embedded military journalist basically okay. um when he was with those guys um and restrepo was the the outpost and they saw i think more actual combat than any other unit in afghanistan at that wow. time um he saw that even though you know some of their men were getting killed they they were a cohesive group they were upbeat they were you know they were laughing and joking but when they all finally demobbed and i think it was in germany where they went he started seeing the crack showing and he himself had a like a ptsd incident in the subway a full panic attack so it led him on this journey to realize that humans are tribal and that we need that community and it's not 
millions of people in New York City, it's that close knit that you feel belonging. Um, you know, I think the the magic number, I forget the name of the scientist, but I guess 150 is the most, most. Okay. humans that we're supposed to, to have or know. So then he applies it to the military. And obviously, when I had him on, we talked about the fire service. So you take those four, eight, 12 people that you work with, and that's your tribe. And so what do we see when, you know, the firefighter gets hurt or, you know, they promote or they retire out? That's when I think we see a lot of the the mental health challenges um, and you know, really maybe realize that, again, like we talked about transitioning, you have to have tribes. I think that's why CrossFit has been so uh, successful. I did the actual um, workouts on my own for years in, in a local gym. But it wasn't until I went to an actual gym, CrossFit gym, that I realized it's a tribal community. Right. You feel part of something and you sweat together. And it's the same when you work out as a crew in the fire station. Um, so that's an absolute must read because when you read it, you go, holy shit, now I get it. Right. That's why I feel this way. When I, when I put my back out and I was out for three months, that's why I felt depressed as hell too because I was separated emotionally. Yeah, I mean, I'm supposed to be part of a tribe. Humans are not supposed to be on their own. So that is a, if I was going to choose one that hasn't been talked about a lot, um, that'd be the one that I'd choose. Sebastian Younger's tribe. Tribe. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Uh, also the reason we have different types, Dirk, Dirk is chiming in again and says, also the reason we have different types of firefighters. There's the super strong ones that suck the SCABA empty after 10 minutes. And then there are the James gearings that can put out a good performance over longer times. You're screwed when your crew isn't as physically diverse. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's a great point. So you know, as people say, you know, you want the ox to knock to, to breach the door and then you want the little, you know, the, the, the petite or small male firefighter um, to go down the elevator shaft or, you know, over the edge or you know, through the collapse or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I love about the diversity. But we all need to move the implements that we're required to move, which is why the whole fitness standards, annual testing thing drives me crazy. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Do a combat challenge style scenario where you're using hoses and ladders and dummies. No one can say it's unfair. Male, female, black, white, gay, straight, unicorn, whatever. If if you ask us to move, implement, you know, X, that's what we have to do in the real world. So um, that drives me crazy, and I see it so much as resistance to, to fitness standards, to, to annual fitness standards, when all we're asking most people is to be able to do the damn job. Right. So if that scares you, then maybe you're in the wrong profession. I like it. Preach. All right. We have a thing <laughs> we do on the weekly scrap. It is called the five questions for firefighters. Um, every answer is your opinion. And the points are completely arbitrary. So, James Gearing, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Let's do it. All right. Number one, I think already from talking to you through this this last hour, I think I kind of already know some of the answers. But number one is what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? I mean, honestly, uh, back to what I was saying before, I think it's sleep deprivation. I think if, if our men and women got the rest and recovery that they deserve that would then foster elite performance, the same elite performance that we require of our NFL, NBA, insert chosen profession, professional sport, 
we would be better. We would be more effective rescuers. We would be, you know, have, have longevity. So we'd have more senior men and women in our fire departments, um, you know, and, and the most importantly, our men and women would actually get to enjoy the retirement that they earned with the family that they had to leave for 10, 20, 30 years of their life. No, I love that. I love that. And very consistent on your answer. Cause I said, from talking to you, I knew that was probably going to be the answer. <laughs> Excellent answer. Number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? I think I truly believe being an optimist again, that when these messages finally find their place, that the term tactical athlete will really apply. So we will create an environment as do the special operations, as do the, you know, the professional sports men and women where we can foster a higher level of performance, a higher level of community. I think that then you can set the bar high at the front door again, because you're not bowing down to the ridiculous notion that if I make the standards easier, I'll get more people. Right. Absolute bullshit. You make the standards high, you'll attract the best people. And then let me, let me preface that as well. Love and that. mentoring. If, if you don't have the, the diversity in your fire service that you would like, and I'm talking about ability and background, not pigmentation, but if you are missing communities, then you mentor those communities. You put, you know, mentorship programs, you go to local schools and gyms and, and you find the best men and women of all backgrounds and you raise them up to be the best damn firefighters or police officers they can be. And then you open the door and say, and here's how we're going to keep you. We've right. got, you know, fitness and strength and conditioning programs, mental health programs. You know, if you're a law enforcement, we're not just going to qualify once a year. We're going to do tactical training with Sheepdog Response or Pat McNamara or whoever. And we're going to make sure that you're the best. And then if something goes wrong, we're going to stand behind you because we've held you to the standards so we know you're worth it. I love that. I love that. Max points, excellent answer. Number three, the best rank or position to have in the fire service? Tillerman. Next question. Tillerman. Easy <laughs> answer. All right. Tillerman, period. That is by far the best job in the fire service. I mean, I was talking to, to Al, um, Al Benjamin. He stayed a fireman his whole career as firefighter. Um, I would, I was the same. I used to, when I first entered the profession, I had this 10, 10, five projection of 10 years as a firefighter, 10 years as a captain, five as a BC. I never got off step a now geography was part of it, but I loved the firefighter role. You know, I love being, you know, with a saw on my hand, nozzle on my hand, whatever it is. But then when you add that to driving the back of a tiller truck, I mean, you know, out the window. I feel, I feel like, yeah, I feel <laughs> that that was it. Firefighter in that position for me personally, Sure. The, the officers and everyone that's promoted out there, we need you to, and thank you for being that kind of person that, that thrives in that position. But I'm perfectly fine being told what to do as long as it's someone I respect and I'll gladly be the knuckle dragger my whole career. I love the, uh, the instant Tillerman period. Next question. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Number four is the best advice you have ever received. That's a good question. I should have looked at that one ahead of time. Um, honestly, it would be as cheesy as it sounds. Like um, I don't know if, if a specific person has told me this or just collectively, but just b believe in yourself. And I mean, that sounds like some cheesy Disney answer, but we're told so often that we can't do 
thing X. And, and especially now, like if I wanted to ride motocross and I go on Instagram, and I see Travis Pastrana, I'm going to be like, there's no way in hell I can ride motocross. Well, I can still get on a bike. I may not be his caliber, but just understanding that you, know, you can literally do anything. And I have so many people on the show now that are, you know, multiple amputees or paraplegic or uh, one that was a, a boy soldier in Sierra Leone. Now he works for UNICEF as an ambassador. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just so it's that self-belief. There are so many people out there that will tell you you can't do it. I was told in Hialeah that I'd never get hired in California. Um, I was told in Orlando I'd never get hired in, in Hialeah, you know. But, oh, you don't speak Spanish, you're not a medic. Oh, you ca you can't go to the other side of the country you know so don't listen to the people that tell you you can't just figure out how you can make it work love it believe in yourself like you said yeah the explanation is better than just the believe in yourself very yeah, well but explained. if you're in a, in a shit fire department for a few years then just change departments there's, there's only so much you can do <laughs> that's the other side note <laughs> number five heavy fire and searchable space would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? VES. Yeah. Makes now, yeah, I, I, it's no other reason than, ironically, I found VES and Eric Wheaton watching. He was one of the instructors. So I went to the Orlando Fire Conference and it was new to me. The actual, like, I knew of it, but I'd never done the training with someone who was really well versed. And, you know, Recio, the very first thing is rescue. Of course, there's an element of extinguishing the fire that's going to make it more tenable. But to have the opportunity to find one specific area that you can throw a ladder or climb into and possibly facilitate a rescue, I mean, that's what we do. So, you know, absolutely putting the fire out is, is the other option. But I think all of us, if we had the opportunity, even if we weren't on shift, you know, if you saw a house on fire and you're driving home and there was that opportunity to grab something in the garden, break a window, quickly close that door and try and Make facilitate a rescue. I mean, that's that's it. So, yeah, I think that's that's something we forget. I think especially in not my last apartment, barely even saw fire, but the one before was it was almost moth to flame to the fire and they actually forget about the searches. Sure. So we have to take a step back and, you know, think outside the box. And just like you said, if there's one room is still tenable that you can exit from i mean excuse me you can enter from second third floor whatever it is then that's your primary goal and then hopefully there's obviously a coordination with other teams to put the fire out awesome no excellent there it is the five questions for firefighters according to james gearing excellent <laughs> answers all the way across the board um sir where can uh people find the podcast where can they get your book best place to reach you go Beautiful. Thank you. Um, so the podcast is called Behind the Shield. It's on all the uh, all the apps. Um, if you Google Behind the Shield, you're going to get two two podcasts. One that was there before mine, so I've got to give them credit, which is like a role player Dungeons and Dragons kind of podcast. Nice. <laughs> and then there's there's my one. So okay. I think we exist, you know, in 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 symbiotic relationship. We don't step on each other's toes. Um, so that's where you get that. You know, all, all the iTunes and Spotify and all these other apps. The uh, the book, One More Light, uh, what's it called again? Life, Death, and Humanity Through the Eyes of a Firefighter. That's on uh, Amazon. That's pretty much exclusively there. So you can get it on paperback, uh, Kindle version, and then literally, hopefully, in about two or three weeks, it will be on audiobook, on Audible, and Apple awesome. Books, or whatever it's called. Six more chapters so, to read. Beautiful. And then uh, um, 
the social media i'm on all of them but the one i really interact with is instagram okay. the others are kind of crap um so my uh, account donald trump got closed for some reason i'm not quite sure why <laughs> <laughs> i don't vote left or right everyone calm down um but uh yeah, so mine is uh, Behind the Shield 911, and there won't be any politics on there. I keep mine completely um, positive because you can affect the world far more uh, effectively by not talking about politics and actually just putting good in the world. So that's well, how I try and keep it. I will say one thing I've noticed from talking to you today, from meeting you today and talking, you, you are an optimist, and I love that, man. I hope you never lose that because the world needs more optimists. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, from 400 amazing people, I've got a reason to be optimistic. There are so many awesome human beings out there, but they don't get the airtime because I think that the harsh reality is whether it's a web page, a social media page, certainly the mainstream news agencies, I use that term very loosely, their whole goal is to sell advertising space. So they're not delivering anything that is going to make the world better. They're just trying to get as many people glued to that sure. set, whether it's Fox, CNN, you know, again, the same exact things, just mirror images. Um, but when you hear all these people we've discussed today, they're amazing human beings in our crews in our stations right now are amazing human beings. Some of which with stories we probably don't even know. So, Sadly, the squeaky wheels, the anomalies get all, all the, attention. You know, the sound box and the middle 80%, I think, are awesome human beings that we just need to take the time to be present, put the phone down, as Derek was saying, and just interact. And you'll realize how many positive, amazing humans there are in the world. Awesome. Well, very well said. Uh, you've been an amazing guest. I got to say that uh, coming up next week, we got on the 22nd, one week from today, Kurt Isaacson. He is coming up, and then uh, after that, Lex Shady and Chris Tobin are coming on to talk building construction. So that's what's coming up on the scrap. A uh, whole bunch coming up throughout 2021. It's, look, it's shaping up to be a great year. Today, number 69, Weekly Scrap is in the books. James Gearing, thank you for being a phenomenal guest. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. For everybody watching live, thank you for the questions. Thank you for the comments. I hope the tone stays silent. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.